we're continuing our way this morning through Galatians. I know sometimes you guys probably get here and wonder kind of what, what is it today since we're, we're doing a couple of different things. And so we're in Galatians chapter 2 uh, today. Uh, I'm going to look at uh, the first 14 verses. So, uh, so far uh, in Galatians, we have seen that Paul uh, is concerned that the believers in this area of Galatia have bought into a false gospel. And we know that uh, the churches in Galatia were established maybe about 15 or so years uh, after the time of Christ. And so uh, it didn't take long for the churches uh, to get kind of off track. And so Paul is writing this letter uh, to the churches in Galatia, reminding them about the truth that he preached to them initially, the truth of the gospel, and warning them about buying into uh, messages that are not the gospel. And so then we took a look at uh, maybe some of the messages that our culture puts out there today and calls gospel or calls good news. Uh, and we looked at how those things don't quite line up with what the Bible says uh, is good news. And then, then we looked at, um, from there, the reminder that no one is too far gone to receive the truth of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Nobody has lived in such a way or done things that disqualify them from receiving and responding to the truth of the gospel. And today, uh, as we look at our text here in Galatians chapter 2, I want to pull three things out of the text. I want to look at how Paul preserved the gospel. I want to look at how Paul proliferated the gospel and how Paul protected the gospel. These alliterations don't always work out, but it kind of works for today. So how Paul preserved the gospel, how he proliferated the gospel, and how he protected the gospel. And so first we're going to look at Galatians 2, the first five verses about the preservation of the gospel. And, and it says this. It says, Then after 14 years I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas. Taking Titus along with me, I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaimed among the Gentiles in order to make sure that I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission, even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. We'll pause there for a moment. So Paul gives us a little bit of a time frame here, as I've mentioned before, it's sometimes difficult to nail down exact dates in the life of Paul, uh, but he tells us after 14 years, well, 14 years after what? Uh, and it's debated by people smarter than me about when the, this 14-year time frame began, and I don't know that it matters a whole lot to our point today when this 14-year uh, time frame began, uh, but Paul came to know Christ. If you want to read Acts chapter 9, you can see how Paul came to know Christ. Uh, and there was a time that he laid low for a while. Uh, and so after some time had passed, he hit the road and, and, and did what we uh, know are three different missionary journeys uh, once uh, this time was over. And so, after, so 14 years after um, Paul came to know Christ, um, he went up with Barnabas and Titus. And he said that there was a revelation set before him. Now this word revelation is used two different times prior to this in the book of Galatians. So in Galatians chapter 1, verse 11, uh, Paul says that I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached to me is not man's gospel, for I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. And then he uses this word again in Galatians 1.15. It says, when 
He who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by His grace was pleased to reveal His Son to me in order that I might preach Him among the Gentiles. And so, so now Paul is saying again, this revelation was set before him. And what I don't think he was saying is that, that he had some mystical experience, uh, maybe where a, a sign from heaven fell in front of him saying necessarily go do this thing, but more that the revelation of the Gospel compelled him to hit the road. The revelation of the Gospel, the good news of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul couldn't keep that to himself. He couldn't help but preach. Matter of fact, I think somewhere else in Paul's writings he says something along the lines of, woe to me if I don't do this. But he was compelled by the good news to share it and to spread it. And so these uses of revelation indicate uh, Christ being revealed to Paul and Paul having this unction to do something about it. And then he talks about that he went up because of this revelation and he set up before them. Well, who is it that he's talking about when he says them? Well, then in parentheses, it says that though privately before those who seemed to be influential. Now, this is most likely referring to probably Peter, James, and John. Later on, uh, Paul will call them pillars of the church. Uh, so those were the influential people. So Paul went up uh, to Jerusalem. He met with the leaders of the church, and he set before them privately the gospel message that he was proclaiming. And he did so probably out of respect for these leaders, um, they had never met face-to-face -face that we know of before this. And we know that Paul had a bit of a reputation. Before he came to know Christ, Paul was a guy that persecuted the church like nobody. Um, it wouldn't be unreasonable to think that, that if we were meeting as the early church right now and Paul were out on the warpath, he might come through the doors and he might drag people off to jail. Uh, or worse, he might torture them. This, this was who Paul was. And so he had some kind of reputation and so when he first came to Christ, people were like, I can't believe Paul, like of all people, this guy Paul, like he was a persecutor of the church, and now he's persecuted for the church and because of the message that he won't stop proclaiming. And so, so he shows up in Jerusalem. They know of his reputation, even though some time had gone by. You know how reputations can be. They stick with us sometimes for a long time, don't they? Even though uh, maybe some of you, like you lived in a certain way and maybe your life is different now, but people know you by the way that you used to be, even if it's a ways in the past. And so Paul met with um, Peter, James, and John, and he met with them privately. Um, he said that they seemed to be influential, and if they're leaders in the church, obviously they had some scope of influence. Um, and he presented to them the gospel that he proclaimed among the Gentiles. And so, think about this. The, the religious people of Paul's day, the religious people of Jesus' day, if you've read through any of the Gospel accounts, you know that, that Jesus had some of the harshest things to say to the religious people of His day, the most religious people of His day. Because to them, it was empty religion. It was about a list of do's and don'ts and rules to follow and rules to keep and rules not to break. And so here comes Paul coming into the church presenting his message of the gospel of Jesus Christ that he's been preaching to the Gentiles. Now, don't, don't miss the scandal here. The Israelites of Paul's day, the Israelites that we, that we read about in the Bible, it wouldn't have been uncommon for them to, to have an attitude that Jesus Christ was for them. That their religion was for them the law, the rules that they follow was for them, but not for those Gentile heathen. Think of somebody that you might know 
that right now that you would be shocked if you, if you saw them walk through the door. Okay? Th- those are the Gentile heathens of Paul's day. And here comes Paul up to the, to the pillars of the church, the influential people of the church, Peter, James, and John, and sets before them this gospel message that he's taken to those heathen Gentiles out there. So, so there's some scandal here that, that we don't quite, like if you don't know some of the history here, we don't quite see it in our text. But this is a scandalous thing that Paul is doing. But the reason that he's doing it is because he wants to make sure that he's not running nor had run in vain. Now, I don't think Paul is probably going here uh, to present this message to him to make sure that they think that it's a correct message. Paul seems to be pretty confident uh, in his message. Matter of fact, his message was a direct revelation from Jesus Christ himself. So I don't think Paul is necessarily checking in with him like, hey guys, am I getting this right? Uh, as much as he's wanting to make sure that there's unity in the message that is being preached, both to the Jews and to the Gentiles. And so he sets it before them and making sure that there's unity, that he's not running in vain, that they're not running in vain. Uh, And then he has with him Titus. And so verse 3 tells us that even Titus, who was with him, was not forced to be circumcised because he was a Greek. Now, we'll probably get into this a little bit more as we dive into Galatians, but circumcision was kind of a big deal uh, back in this day. It's not a big deal to us today at all. It doesn't have the significance that it had uh, during biblical times, and so uh, so I'm not going to unpack that for us today. But just know that it was kind of a big deal back then. And so Paul takes up with him uh, Titus, who is a Gentile, and they don't force him to be circumcised. Now, the, one of the messages that was coming into the churches in Galatia, to the believers in Galatia, was, not only is it knowing Jesus, but also there are these things that you have to do in order to please God. And one of those in, in Paul's day was circumcision. And so Paul comes up and he presents his gospel message to the pillars of the church, and they don't force Titus to be circumcised. And so this is kind of a big deal too, because essentially they're saying that it's not Jesus plus following a bunch of rules or doing this or doing these certain things. And so they're not requiring Titus to undergo the process of circumcision. Now you can imagine imagine Titus, whoo, dodged a bullet there. Um, but there were these also, the other dynamic to this is that there were these false brothers that verse 4 tells us, and they were secretly brought in. And we don't know who brought them in, but false brothers were secretly or intentionally brought in to spy out this newfangled freedom where that doesn't include circumcision. And they were brought in to spy out the Christians, uh, Peter, James, John, Paul, all of their company, uh, to spy them out, to, to look at this freedom that they have in Christ. I think it was a couple of weeks ago I, I pulled a quote from Tim Keller that talked about freedom and that, that freedom in Christ is really finding the right kind of boundaries so that we can be free to work within the boundaries that Christ has, has given us. And so uh, these spies had come in to, to spy out the freedom um, that the Christians had in Christ in order that they might bring them into slavery. So they came in with the intent of saying, well, you can't do that. You shouldn't do this. You have to do this. Right? Does that happen, Does that happen in our churches sometimes today? Well, if you're a Christian, you have to think this certain way. Political issues, as, as Lewis brought up earlier, right? You, you might hear somebody say that, well, if you're a Christian, how, how can you think this way on a political issue? You have to think this certain way. Or, I can't believe you watch certain kind of movies or frequent certain kinds of establishments because you're a Christian. 
And there are some people that specialize in just pointing the finger at other people, saying you can't do this or you should do this. One pastor says that it's a shameful thing to be an expert in the sin of others. But we're pretty good at it. And, and not only are we good, like we enjoy it. I, I would rather, far rather be an expert in your sin than my own. I would rather point the finger at you than I would point the finger back at me. Right? So this was this happens in Paul's day. It's happening in our day as well that, that false brothers come in uh, in order to point the finger at them, in order that they would enslave them into unnecessary practices. And this is part of the message that Paul is trying to combat here. This false message that says that in order to be a Christian or a follower of Christ, that you have to be, in his day, circumcised. Today we might say that in order to be a Christian, that, that you, have to, you have to vote red. Not, not in the, find that in the Bible. Show me where that says that in the Bible. It doesn't. And so, so maybe circumcision isn't our issue today as it was in Paul's day, but, but there are issues where people will say, in order to be a Christian, you have to think this way or do these things. And Paul is writing this letter in order to combat this false notion that your Christianity is what you do. Now, make no mistake, the Bible does tell us what it looks like to live in obedience to Christ. And that includes things that we should do and that we shouldn't do. But there's a whole world of difference than doing those things for justification or for favor with God versus doing them from a place of being favored by God. Two different things entirely. And Paul is combating this idea that there are things that you must do in order to be pleasing to God. If there are things that we could do in order to be pleasing to God, there would be no need for Christ. Jesus pleased God fully in His obedience to Him. You and I can't do that. If we could do that, there would be no need for Christ. And so, even though this may seem like a subtle thing, it's kind of a big deal. It's kind of a big deal that Paul is writing about here. And he says of these false brothers that we didn't yield to him for a moment. Paul was a guy that we know he wasn't afraid to stir the pot wherever he went. Paul wasn't a guy that soft-pedaled his message. Although at times he was accused of being a people pleaser. But he didn't soft-pedal his message. He spoke truth. And he spoke truth to the influential people. He spoke truth to the people who were not influential and the nobodies of society. He went outside the bounds of the religion of his day and, and declared the message of the gospel to people that were scandalous to people in the church. They said, like, why would you go to those people? This was Paul. And he didn't yield to these people even for a moment who were trying to enslave them into practices that were not in step with the gospel. And so as you can see, that Paul is really trying hard here and he, and he tells us that he's doing this in order that the gospel might be preserved for you and for me. Paul had a mission to preserve the gospel, and the gospel is preserved when Christians recognize that God and His Word are the ultimate authority, especially over and above whatever cultural narratives that might be out there. There's a lot of cultural narratives happening right now um, that I never thought I would see in my lifetime. The, the trajectory at which the narrative changes. like it, it changes at a rapid pace. Things that we celebrate today, society would have considered shameful five years ago or ten years ago. The cultural narrative is always changing, and the challenge that we face as Christians is what do we do with this message of the Gospel as it moves farther and farther away from the cultural narrative? 
50 years ago, maybe the, the cultural narrative wasn't all that different than, than the biblical message. It's always been different, but, but far less different 50 years ago than it is today. And, and what's it going to be tomorrow? Far different, probably, than it is today. And so we preserve the gospel by fidelity to Christ and His Word. No matter how that might rub the culture of our day, the wrong way. Paul didn't bend to the religious culture of his day. Paul was a religious person himself, even before he came to know Christ. Paul was a religious guy, and he was he was good at it. He was feared, he was respected, he was well known. He was looked up to. But he didn't bend from the moment that he came to know Christ to the religious or the irreligious culture of his day who would have him add to the message of the gospel. And so I want us to think about today ways that we can preserve the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel is, is timeless. It's been the same from the beginning all the way to the end. It's not going to change. But, but how can we as Christians preserve the message of the gospel? And, and a big way that we do that is not bending to the cultural narrative. And we're going to talk about in a moment um, maybe what that looks like, that, that we can come at, at the culture of our day out of our offense which the Bible never tells us that's okay to do that. But we can love our culture enough to speak truth to them, and those are two very different things as well. Right? I think we, we can all speak to the culture of our day from a place of offense. Right? If you vote differently than I do, that probably offends me, and I can speak to that, and I can make you mad. Right? If, if you are on this side of an issue, and I'm on this side of an issue, that might offend me, and I can speak to you from that. But, but that, that's not what it is to preserve the gospel. What it is to preserve the gospel is to love our culture enough and to love people enough to speak truth to them because we love them, not because we're offended by them. And we'll talk more about that here in a moment. Verses 6-10, through 10, we see this idea of proliferating the gospel. Big word, but just, just to say that, that the gospel goes out, the gospel spreads. So let's read verses 6-10. to 10. And from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised, worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing that I was eager to do. And here again, Paul refers to Peter, James, and John as those who seem to be influential. So you can see in this writing, like I think he's trying really hard to show some respect to people that have earned some respect, the pillars of the church. So before they were influential people, now they're influential people who are pillars of the church. And so Paul, respecting that about them, Paul's not showing up saying, hey, there's a new sheriff in town. It would be real easy for Paul. He got a direct revelation from Jesus Christ. Not a lot of people can say that. Although Peter, James, and John, like they hung out with Jesus, but, but Paul had a, had a different experience. It would have been easy for him to show up and say, hey, guess what happened to me? You need to pay attention to me. You need to listen to me. And he didn't. He's, he's recognizing their authority and giving them due respect. In turn, he says that they added nothing to him. 
In other words, they added no requirements to Paul. Paul had presented his gospel message. Hey, here's, here's the message that I'm proclaiming. Here's the message that I'm preaching. And, and evidently, they affirmed his message and said, don't change a thing. You don't need to worry about circumcising Titus. Uh, your message is good. And so they affirmed the message. And here's what's cool about this is that people coming from different walks of life, that, that there's a unity that happens in our adherence to the gospel. And I've said this before, but like if you look around the room and see who's here, there's probably people in this room that you, you might never cross paths with outside of your fellowship in church. Just naturally, our affinities might not bring us together. We might not enjoy the same kinds of hobbies. We might not hang out in the same places. But because of our adherence to the gospel, here we all are in a room, right? A very diverse crowd in the room. And it's our adherence to the gospel that brings us together. And here's Paul being brought together with these other pillars of the church because of the gospel. You think that God maybe planned it to be that way? That that might be by God's design. And then Paul acknowledges that that he was entrusted with the gospel message to the uncircumcised. In other words, those Gentile heathens, the irreligious people. And that Peter, James, and John are entrusted, or Peter entrusted with the message to the circumcised, the message to the religious people. And what we see here is just the gospel is for everybody, the religious and the irreligious. Earlier I mentioned that like nobody's too far gone to hear the truth of the gospel and to respond to the truth of the gospel. And we might all acknowledge that in word, but, but I guarantee some of us are thinking about people like, there's no way. There's no way that this person in my life would ever come to know Christ. And maybe in a fleshly sense, there is no way. There's no way that I would come to know Christ apart from Christ intervening in my life. I have a friend a few years ago that used an analogy. that He says that God T-boned their lives. They were going in a direction and had plans. All of a sudden, God T-boned their lives and it changed their life forever. God does that. God does that. So God T-bones the lives of the religious and God T-bones the lives of the irreligious. And so as we think about people in our own lives and even think about our own stories about how we came to know Christ, we, we know that, that no one is too far gone to receive the message of Christ. And so, so the early church is acknowledging in this moment, and again, don't miss the scandal of this, that like there's an apostle that's, that's going to the circumcised. There's an apostle going outside of the four walls of our church and going out there into the world. Like we get comfortable in here, don't we? But, but in this narrative, we see there's an apostle going out there to those irreligious people, to those Gentiles, to those people that don't know our rules, to those people who maybe have a different moral compass than we do, if they even have one at all, right? This is, this is Paul. He, he's going out there to the Gentiles, and the church is recognizing that the gospel can go beyond the religious people of their day. So it's not just for one group of people. And that, that's part of what, what our fellowship here at the door is based upon, is that the gospel is for everybody. Not just for the people that look good, not just for the people that clean up before they come inside, not for the people that have it all together. Right? You see on some of our, our apparel, sinners only. Right? That, that, that's, all, that's all we want here is sinners only, because the message of the gospel is for everybody. And then Paul makes the comment that they had perceived the grace that had been given to him. And so they look at Paul's apostolic ministry to the Gentiles, to those people out there, as a grace of God. 
This wasn't something they're saying, okay, Paul, if you want to go do your thing, then you, you go do your thing. We're not going to stop you. We may not be supportive of it, but we're not going to stop you. It wasn't that kind of a scenario. They perceived Paul's ministry as a grace of God. To Paul, to the church, to the Gentiles. And they acknowledged the grace of God and the gospel going out there. And they gave him the right hand of fellowship. In other words, they welcomed him in, in partnership. They partnered with Paul in his ministry. And so what we see in all of this is that the proliferation of the gospel, like the, the gospel has to go. The gospel, if, if you adhere to a gospel that doesn't compel you in some way to proclaim that message, to take that message to somebody else somewhere else, then you've missed the gospel. If our gospel compels us to just huddle up on Sunday mornings and do nothing else, like we've misunderstood something. But if our gospel compels us, like I, I, I got to get this out there. I got to tell somebody about this. I got to tell everybody about this. Then we've begun to understand the truth of the gospel because it naturally or organically proliferates as we adhere to it, as we believe it, as we understand it. Paul would say to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, starting in verse 19, that though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I become as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I become as one under the law, though myself not being under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those outside the law, I become as one outside the law, that I might win those outside of the law. To the weak I become weak, that I might win the weak. I become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. And we know that it's God that does the saving, and Paul would acknowledge that. He says, I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessing. And this is what I'm talking about, that, that when we come to an understanding of the truth of the gospel, there's this compelling thing that says, I've got I to get this out there. I've got to take it to the world. As a matter of fact, this is actually not just a good idea, but this is God's plan and His good design. In 2 Corinthians 5, we're reminded that it's God's plan that He would make His appeal through us. To those who have been reconciled to God, that it's God's good design and perfect plan that those reconciled people would go take the message of reconciliation to those who have yet to be reconciled to God. It's not just plan A or a good idea, it's the plan. The only plan in existence for the proliferation of the gospel is that those who have been changed by the gospel would take it to the world so that others could be changed by the gospel. Does that make sense? Finally, in verses 11 to 14, protection of the gospel. It says, When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles, and when they came, he drew back and he separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like the Jews? So here's what was going on here. So, so the Jewish people of Paul's day, they had some pretty, pretty strict dietary restrictions. Certain diets they had to adhere to, and it was a pretty big deal uh, to the Jews of, of this day. And so when Peter came to Antioch, 
Paul just stood toe-to-toe with him, it would seem, and he opposed him to his face because of this one thing that he did. And so Paul, or Peter, was evidently hanging out with the Gentiles, and he was eating like a Gentile. And then it says, when certain men came from James, in other words, when, when some Jewish people came down from the church and saw Peter hanging out with the Gentiles, doing Gentile things, what did Peter do? I'm going to hang out with you guys now. I'm not going to hang out with these, these Gentile heathen over here. Right? He was being a hypocrite. And so Paul called him on it. He called him on it, not because he was offended by him. Nowhere do we read here that Paul was offended by Peter's behavior. But he called him out because this is a matter of gospel witness. Peter's gospel witness wasn't credible in this, as he was acting one way with certain people and acting another way with other people. So his, his gospel witness was out of step. And this is what Paul was challenging. Not, not calling out Peter because he did a dumb thing. Right? We all do dumb things. We, we, we all do hypocritical things in our lives. Paul wasn't offended by the hypocrisy. He was concerned with the witness of the gospel. And what does this say about the gospel and who Jesus is when we say one thing and we live in another way? And so Paul is working to protect the gospel here. Because people take their cues about what Christianity is from the way that Christians live, right? How many of you have, have an opinion of a lawyer? Right? Well, probably because you've dealt with a lawyer. I hope there's no lawyers in the room. But like, like you have an opinion, right? You've, we've all bought used cars, and you have an opinion of a used car salesman because you've bought a used car. Maybe you had a good experience. Maybe you had a bad experience. But you have an opinion based on your dealings with people, right? It's no different with Christians. People base an opinion on Christianity on their experiences with people who profess Christ. Now, unfortunately, there's a lot of people in our world today that would profess Christ that don't follow Christ. But Paul is concerned here with protecting the gospel. I want to share an example with you, and it's not a one-to-one correlation, but, um, but I think it fits anyway. Uh, even though it's not a one-to-one correlation. It has to do with uh, with the pastors here at the door. Um, we, we had a, a conversation a while back, I don't know, a couple of months ago, where um, I think it was after a men's night or something, the pastors were hanging out in the office, and we were talking about the sermons from the previous week. Uh, and there was some constructive criticism that, that went uh, towards Pastor Terry about one of his sermons. And I asked Terry if I could share this, and he said it was totally cool. Um, some constructive criticism that went his way about um, not that he got something wrong, but it's like maybe if you said something in, in this other way, it would be more clear as to what you're driving at, right? And, and we walked away from this meeting, and the next morning we, we get a message uh, from Pastor Terry saying, guys, I, I need to get together with you guys tonight about something that's really important. And he didn't tell us what it was, and, and we didn't ask, and so we, just, we met that night. Um, and Terry had lost sleep that night over the fact that he may have gotten the gospel wrong unintentionally. We had this long conversation. I mean, it, this, this was, it was really cool. That this happened. Not cool that Terry got twisted, but it was neat that we could sit in a room together uh, and, and Terry could put, come before the pastors and say, guys, if I got something wrong, I need to know. Uh, if I preach something that wasn't in step with the gospel, I, I need to know. Um, and it seemed like, like, he, like I said, he lost sleep over it. It was a big deal in that moment. We were all able to affirm him that, like, no, you didn't get anything wrong. But, but he had this, this twistedness about him that was, that was all about protecting the gospel. Like I said, not a one-to-one correlation with what's happening here with, with Peter and Paul, but just a real-life example of, 
um, of, of the pastors of our fellowship, if I could brag for just a moment, I would like to do this very often, but, but there, was, there was a concern in the room that night about protecting the gospel. Like, it's a big deal. And, and it was just so neat to sit around and talk. To, like, everybody was willing to hear from the other, like, okay, if, if, if we're getting something wrong, like, we need to figure this thing out because it's important that we're protecting the message of the gospel because it's foundational to what we do. Nobody was offended, I don't, I don't think, at anybody. Nobody was coming at, at anybody in that meeting out of offense of what was said. Pastor Terry wasn't, wasn't offended at the, the constructive criticism that came his way. He took it to heart. He said, you know what? If I need to be corrected, here, here I am, correct me. There, there was a couple of us that, that hadn't heard his sermon, and so he, he brought his little manila folder with a sermon in it, and he read it to us. But I, I want to make sure, like, this is, this is serious business. It's a big deal. And, and there, there was a, a humility about him. There wasn't, a, like, I'm right, and you guys just, like, you misunderstood what I said, so let me correct you. And there wasn't that. It was a humility that said, if I got something wrong, I need to know about this. Because what's at stake here is not my pride. What's at stake here is not my reputation. What's at stake here is the message of the gospel. And so Paul here, the reason he opposes Peter is in order to protect the message of the gospel. And so how is it that we as Christians, how is it that we can protect the gospel? We can preserve the gospel by coming together unified under the message of the gospel. We can proliferate the gospel, realizing that this is God's grand plan for the spread of the gospel. And we can protect the gospel by being willing to speak to one another the truth in love. We can speak truth in very unloving ways. And we can sometimes lovingly, or, or so we say, quote-unquote, lovingly not speak the truth. I think I would argue that by not speaking the truth is not being loving. But sometimes we pit the truth and love against one another, right? Truth is harsh, love is soft. But, but what we see here from Paul and what the Bible would tell us is that you can't separate truth and love. And we, we have a duty to speak the truth to one another in love. And, and we have a duty, a mandate, that says that we should speak the truth in love to our culture. And I think we, we Christians have done a pretty terrible job of, of speaking the truth in love to our culture. But I would challenge us today to consider as we go out there, right? we're going to eat lunch today and then you're going to go out there and then you're going to be out there all week until we come back here next week. When you're out there, how, how can you speak the truth in love to people that don't vote the way that you do or don't view political issues the way that you do? People who have different moral codes or moral compasses than you do. How can you, how can you love them and speak the truth to them? Not, not coming at them out of your offense. Never commanded to do that. But how can we come at people out of love and speak the truth to them in love? I want to end with a quote from John Piper, Caden talked about John Piper earlier. John Piper has this to say about our passage today. He says, If God worked before the foundation of the world in the death and resurrection of Jesus at the Jerusalem Council and over the past 2,000 years and in my message today that the truth of the gospel be preserved for you, then does he not love you and merit your faith and obedience? If God has worked in this way to preserve the truth of the gospel for people who need it, is this not still an incomparable challenge to give your life for the spreading of the gospel? And unless God has changed, can we not say that if you undertake to preserve and herald the good news of Christ for others, 
Almighty God will work in you and for you. And beneath you will not be a cracked foundation of truth, but a unified, divinely inspired, apostolic witness to the greatest events in history. The Son of God died for our sins, was buried, and rose on the third day to save forever those who trust. This is what's at stake for Paul in his letter to the Galatians. This is the message of the gospel, and there's nothing that we add to it. There's nothing that we take away from it. And when we begin to do either add to it or take away from it, we miss the message by a mile. And this is the message that's been entrusted to every one of you here as you go out there to deliver 